I say yes, because I'm like trying to get to the point of being able to say no. And I'm incredibly fortunate. I know that it's unique in that I've been working for people that are um, understanding of where I'm at and they respect me and they know that I respect them. And so they've allowed me to kind of like spread myself between a couple of different things. And I think in a lot of other, other situations, I wouldn't be able to, but I wouldn't be as good of a coach as I am without having this like variety of opportunities. Um, and I think that if it weren't for these things, like the way my brain works, like I would just find a way to spill my time with something else anyway. Right. Like, I feel like I always need another project. I'm much better at starting things than I am at finishing things. And so it all just turns into me like saying yes and getting on board and doing this project and starting a podcast and doing different things because I just, every door that I've opened has opened an additional two or three doors for me. And so I think that that's kind of an addicting feeling that I continue to chase. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Invictus Mindset Podcast. Today's guest is the co-founder and the assistant head coach for Underdogs Athletics. He's the head of Black Iron Training and one of the most amazing people in the CrossFit community that flies gently under the radar. One of my favorite people, Kiefer Lammy. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me. What an intro. I don't think, uh, I don't think I'll ever get used to people talking about me in any sort of way like that. So thank you. Well, after you. spending some time with you last weekend when you traveled the California coast, I meant every word. You, you possess a, a phenomenal energy. Selfishly, you're a member of the 6-2 and over club, and uh, we got to hit a little workout together. So I can't say that uh, any of those words were fabricated by any means. So soak it in, man, and get ready for the Invictus Mindset <laughs> experience. I'm stoked. Dude, we were chatting a little bit offline. We, before we get into to the CrossFit world and underdogs and all the amazing things you're doing on the back end... We got to touch on basketball. We both have some basketball roots in us. We just briefly chatted around the crazy trades that took place around the NBA trade deadline and the, the power that's possessed by the players right now. And in comparison to CrossFit, you know, we're seeing all these training camps, Underdogs being one of them, Invictus being one of them. Mm -hmm. We've got HWPO, we've got Training Think Tank, we've got you know, what else? Mayhem. And then you've got brute strength. Mm -hmm. Like I'm probably missing a few, you know, within the proven is another one. And, um, gently in the off season and sometimes in season, we're seeing athletes shuffle around. They're craving a vibe. They're connecting with brands. They're connecting with friends, training partners. Sometimes people are craving to do the Patrick Vellner or Brent Fikowski train by themselves and not give any of their secrets away. What are your thoughts on this? You know, looking at how the NBA guys are kind of dancing around from team to team and how that relates to how some of the CrossFit athletes are trying to find their niche within, within the sport. I so it's different in some ways and it's similar in some ways. I feel like uh, the biggest difference is like our CrossFit space is so young relatively relative to the basketball or any other sport, but also the idea of training camps is like even younger mm -hmm. than that. Right. And so I had this conversation with somebody not that long ago where it, it felt like you went from, you had a couple like standout CrossFitters within a region that were training by themselves or just their affiliate to all of a sudden we're trying out training camps for the first time. And now from that, you're going to have a subset of those people that realize like training camps aren't for me, or maybe that training camp wasn't for me. And so we have this period of time going on where there's just like 
mass movement of people every year. Somebody's going to a different camp. Uh, camps are forming. Camps are breaking down. We're seeing things not work. And I think that's just part of like us as a community figuring out what a training camp means and what you can get from it and what you can't. Like, is it a good idea to compete against your competitors every day? Or maybe is it better if you have like a male and a female athlete at the same level. And then you have maybe a couple up and coming athletes or you have a couple masters athletes. And so you all can be competitive, but you know that when it comes time for quarters and semis and the games, you're not competing directly against them. Um, but I, but I think the other thing is that like the NBA or other big leagues have been in this position. Like we talked about where like ownership has had so much control for so long, right? Like they sign the checks, the front office manages everything. And I think players finally got a taste of, of what it's like to be like, Oh, like I can have some control now. Like if I don't want to play, I'll just choose not to play. If they want to find me, they can find me. I can afford it. And so it's kind of like shifted the power back and forth, which I think is really interesting. And I'm curious to see where it lands and if we find like a middle ground there, but I think CrossFit is just so different because we're not yet in a position where even if you have a training camp, there's not like an ownership group, right? Like at underdogs and anywhere else at Invictus, like you have a coach or two that show up and they coach their athletes. Like that's very different than having like billionaire owners that are pulling strings for things. And so I think it's hard to compare, but it is cool to see athletes advocating for themselves and like making moves on their own. I think that's a great lens on it. I also think it just shows the sports evolving. We're starting to see a little yeah. bit more similarity to other sports, which in contrast is really cool. In the past, it was kind of like, is this a Spartan? Is it an obstacle course racing thing? Is it like signing up for a half marathon? And obviously, the sport has, has truly evolved. And you've got some really unique lenses on it. But going back to basketball, man, like very few people know that you're a Division One college basketball player at UConn. And, you know, the Big East is, is a pretty solid conference. And you played for the legendary Jim Calhoun. When you press mm -hmm. pause on your current lifestyle and you go back down memory lane, what are some of the things that, that come to mind from your college basketball experience? Uh, it's funny because I really rarely press pause and go back. Uh, I think people always like, it's almost like they get upset with me when they find out that I played basketball and I hadn't told them prior or hadn't talked about <laughs> it, but it, it like genuinely feels like a different part of my life to me. And so it's something that I've sort of compartmentalized in the back. Um, but I don't know. I, I would imagine that this is the same feeling that a lot of athletes in CrossFit or other sports get now. But like the biggest thing I remember is just like this extreme sense of, I don't know, own, I guess ownership is one of the word, but just like accountability to a group of people or to a coach or to a program that was like, unlike anything I've done to that point. Like I played sports my whole life. Uh, my high school basketball team were undefeated state champs. I was successful on the golf team on the basketball team, things like that. But like going to UConn and being a part of a program with a history like that, like there was nothing that would get in the way of me, like showing up on time for practice of me showing up for lift of me giving full effort at conditioning and stuff. And I think part of that is the fact that I was a walk on. And so I felt like my Jersey would be, could be taken any day. Or like I was constantly fighting for an opportunity to be on the end of the bench or to be like actually in drills and practice. But I just think that it's like hard not to feel that sense of pride and that sense of accountability to like put in the extra hours when you're, when you're work, working with or working for people that you like respect so much. I don't know. 
it's hard. I don't, I don't think about it a lot, but it's a, uh, it's a different feeling than I've ever experienced. I love the pride associated with what you just described. And I can't help but lean into the Baker Mayfield shirt that he had once upon a time that said walk on. And there's, there's definitely yeah. too something that encompasses the walk on mentality. So when I say that to you, what, what are some of the things that come to mind around that? Because that definitely relates to the underdog mentality of like, hey, my jersey can be taken any day. You know, I don't hold this title of scholarship athlete. And, you know, mm-hmm. men, many people didn't even know that I played college basketball, but I did. And I took pride in that. And I gave my best effort in every single moment that I was a participant. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, like, I think a lot of people use the that, that uh, phrase of the analogy of talking about, like, you know, like you could be the most talented person in the room, but like, um, if you're not hardworking enough, like you won't succeed the way you want or like hard work beats talent or whatever. That's what it is, I guess. Um, I've never felt like I wasn't a talented athlete, but like, it's almost just like the label of it put me in this position of feeling like I'm always chasing someone and there's always somebody chasing me. Whereas, you know, uh, 12 of the guys that I played with on the team came in with a full scholarship, right? 12 of those guys came in being the best player probably in their state the year before and having them be on recruiting lists and being recruited by a bunch of major programs. And I went to UConn to to try and play golf and to be an engineering major initially. Like I had no anticipation of playing basketball to start. And so for me, it was like just a mentality of like, you're always working towards this thing and, uh, and knowing that I was willing to put in work that other people weren't whether or not that's actually true, because I like I played with guys that would show up to the gym at eight or nine at night, every night of the week to put up extra shots. Like there's no question that they were putting in the work, but it's just a different feeling. It's almost it's almost like it was like I was scared every day, I guess. I mean, it's that that level of discomfort, right? Like exposing yourself to that voluntarily is very, Mm -hmm. very cool. And I mean, UConn's uh, been in the conversation, especially during March Madness, year after year. I mean, they've had some some incredible guys on their roster. Who are some of the guys that you got to rub elbows with in the locker room and get to uh, emulate or play play against in practice? Uh, so I was really lucky. Um, I actually only played officially for two years, my last two years, which was between two national championships. Cause that's everybody's follow-up question. Every time it's like, what years were you there? Like, did, you must have a ring. Uh, somehow I found my way in the middle, <laughs> but, um, I spent some time the year before playing as well. And so I had an opportunity to play with Kemba quite a bit in practice. Um, wasn't on the team that he won a national championship with. And then that next season or that off season was when the NBA lockout happened. And so like my first preseason going in, maybe it was the spring season. I can't remember exactly when, but like Ray Allen came back and played with us. Rudy Gay came back and played with us. Hashim Thibi came back and played with us. And so in addition to like being on a team in practice every day with guys like Shabazz Napier, Jeremy Lamb, um, Andre Drummond, I like had an opportunity to play with some of some like all-time greats from UConn, which was a really, really cool That's experience. Super cool. What were some of the qualities and characteristics that you observed being a little bit different in comparison to maybe some of the some of the guys you played with in high school or maybe some of the qualities that you observed in the engineering field or just in the day-to-day? What made some of these legends legends? I think that there's like a, like everybody that comes through that level is, is talented. Right. But there is a different mindset in terms of like, 
it's almost like a cockiness, like this aggressive confidence in yourself and a killer instinct that like when we watch on TV, we see that as being guys like LeBron or guys like Kobe had that and stuff. Right. And so it's obviously there's different levels to it. But if you take any guy that's that's in like an eight man rotation from an NBA team and you put them back on their old college team or playing pickup with other people, like you instantly realize like, oh, like you have a different mindset and a different approach to life. And it's so or basketball, I suppose, but probably life as well. But uh, it's so interesting because if we watch and you see like I watch now and I'll see Jeremy Lamb, who is who is a good friend of mine and a teammate of mine. And he'll come off the bench on most teams and I see him come in and to see him be a role player is so strange to me because that's such a different position that I've seen him in. But it also like, I like see on his face that it's like different than what it's like when he's playing against guys that he knows that he can dominate or something. So it's like he has this mindset about him that's almost muted just because of the role that he plays. But I know that like every one of those guys has that. I, I'm over here smirking because... The conversation got to the point where I really wanted it to get to. And that is, you talked about winning and being a part of state championship teams. Where mm -hmm. you probably played a major role in high school. You were probably the mm -hmm. guy or maybe one of the guys on your team that contributed heavily. I mean, you're a big guy. What are you, six, six foot four? Six, six four. four yep. Athletic, lanky. And... What's so fascinating to me along this human experience is, you know, as children, we kind of all possess that childlike mindset around we think all things are possible. When we're young, one day we're an engineer, the next day we're an NBA player. The next day we're a firefighter, the next day we're an astronaut. And then somewhere along the lines, life decides to confine us. It throws us into a box and says, you're good at these things, you know, you get feedback from adults that you heavily respect or you get the score the grade in school that assigns you into a lane trident coffee is sponsoring this episode of the invictus mindset podcast my guys over at trident taught me something really important this last year that we are all a bundle of stories both good and bad and everything in between at trident they're storytellers all of their cold brews remind their customers that that they are part of something bigger than themselves. They help create connections through symbology and storytelling that engage their customers on an emotional level, and this distinguishes them from other coffee brands. You can find Trident in Imperial Beach and in Coronado. They offer over 14 plus nitro cold brews along with dairy-free options. You can find the perfect brew and pair it with one of their treats from their keto bakery. All these options will allow you to support your health and fitness journey with Trident Coffee. They're more than just a coffee company. You can check them out over at tridentcoffee.com and use code INVICTUS20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Once again, that's tridentcoffee.com. Use code INVICTUS20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Take your coffee experience to the next level. Two important factors for us over at Invictus Mindset are true care and attention to detail. My friends over at RX Markier have been bringing innovative fitness tools to the market since 2009. From their award-winning Evo speed ropes to their amazing gymnastics grips to their line of inflatable fitness equipment, they're constantly looking to problem solve 
within the fitness industry. They're always allowing us to have our gear work for us rather than against us. Hop on over to RX Mark Gear and use discount code Invictus Mindset to shop their latest cutting edge gear. Have your gear work with you and not against you. And I'll use Jeremy Lamb as an example. He could have been an NBA star, in my humble opinion. I mean, I watched him at UConn. I saw him on scout.com and checked him out on YouTube and watched his highlight reels and saw so many different characteristics. I didn't follow him as close as you, but it's like I could use this argument for almost any, any player. But then inevitably, somewhere along the line, it was, oh, he's probably too, too thin. He's not big enough. Mm-hmm. He was drafted to the wrong team. Here are the things that he's really good at. Here are the things that he's lacking. And all of a sudden, you see the wheels kind of start to turn. Russell Westbrook's a great example. This is an all-time legend. This is a guy that you know set the most tri- triple doubles in a season. And a former MVP. I played against him in, in high school, and he used to come and play pickup with us when I was at Cal State Northridge. What happened when he came to the Lakers? And I would gently say people stopped believing in him. I would say the media started mm-hmm. to live rent-free between his ears. Responsibility started to enhance. His kids started getting older. Now, instead of just Russell versus the world, it was you know, Russell against all these other things, and his toolbox started to get like taken away because of how the world categorizes you. And I mean, you could see that in CrossFit too, right? Like somebody has all this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, I'm going to make the games, I'm going to do the thing, and then that first injury happens. Or they get a couple no reps at semifinals or previously regionals. And all of a sudden, things start to shift. The sponsors stop calling. The belief stops happening. And, I mean, you're smart enough to kind of pick up on the narrative that I'm sharing. But you Mm -hmm. play the unique role, Kiefer, of truly and authentically believing in the human first. And I watch it. I've seen it from afar. There's a reason why at every single competition I stop and I'm like, hey, I want to chat with this guy. You have a gift. And that's, that's a huge reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast today. Like, what happens to these athletes and how do you maintain that childlike optimism to still create a safe space to believe in people to maximize their true human potential? Uh, coaching for CrossFit is unique in that kind of like we talked about, like in every other sport, you kind of get to a point where people will put you into a box of like, all right, like, you might be too skinny. You might not be good enough for this. You might not be able to do this. This is your role. But CrossFit's so strange in that there's so many different ways to get the job done. Like there's so many different ways to be a good CrossFit athlete um, that I think that it opens the door to like creating more belief and more opportunity for athletes because like your version of success as a CrossFitter doesn't have to look like mine. And like if you're, you know, not the strongest athlete, we can figure out other ways to get the job done. Whereas if, if you're playing basketball and it's like, you're too short to play basketball, you're just too short to play basketball, Nine, 99 times out of 100, right? And so I think that that's probably part of it is that there are more ways to have an uplifting or a positive conversation with athletes to like wrap their head around the fact that there is still potential and still hope. But I think more than that, it's just my job as a coach for them is not to instill like a false sense of confidence that they can be a games athlete or something else. My job is just to support them on the journey that they're on and help keep it in perspective of like what we're doing today, what we're doing this month, what we're doing this season. 
And so I have plenty of athletes that I work with that, you know, I might, or we might have a mutual understanding that like, there's probably a ceiling to where their CrossFit career goes in terms of like the traditional competitive season, but that doesn't change the way that I support them and what they're doing right now. Like I feel fully invested, whether they're just an open levels athlete or quarterfinals or semis or games, or they're kind of working their way through the ranks because they're young. I feel invested in their journey because that's what they came to me for as a coach. That's what they're paying me for. And that's like the relationship that we've built that it, it doesn't matter to me. Um, and I'm so lucky that I work with so many of them in person that I have like deep personal relationships that I like, you know, almost to a fault. If you ask other people around me, like I build my, my, my world around making sure that they're taken care of and like that their needs are met and things like that. Um, so I don't know. It's like, it looks genuine because it is genuine. Uh, and I don't blow smoke up their ass. You know, if I know that the season, something is not realistic, like we have a conversation about that and we come up with a with an alternative way to look at things or talk about things that is realistic because the last thing that I want is for them to like be training stressed out every day or pissed off or feel like they're not reaching their goals. Like I would much rather be realistic up front and reframe to create a set of goals that are realistic so that in two months we can look back and be like, fuck yeah, like we did good. We did awesome. There's something uh, so fulfilling around been, like yeah. just really creating a, a roadmap and a, a takeoff point for people to just give their full effort, knowing that they have a, a team of believers behind them. Yeah. I think, I think it makes it really special. And I also think chasing the 1% is really important because I mean, Matt mm -hmm. Delugos is a great example, right? Like he's, his squat patterning is going to be way different than some of the other athletes that you coach. And so finding unique ways, maybe to widen his stance a little bit, you know, enhancing his, his upper body strength and mobility, really working on torso position so he's a little bit more stacked and aligned for optimal force production. There are ways to kind of counteract some of the, the physics landmarks that really can serve as gentle setbacks. And then simultaneously for some of the smaller athletes, really trying to enhance their, their work capacity on machines. Maybe their total weight behind the machine isn't as high or their lever's not as long, so their stroke's probably a little bit shorter. But I do think it's mm -hmm. cool to, to practice the art of problem solving and people management in order to kind of help people chase those 1% or, or as Justin Medeiros likes to say, die for points. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's really all that you can do, right? Like, God, fit, uh, probably our sport more than anything else is like, it's such a slow moving grind. And even when it is moving, like if you're moving the needle, the chances are everybody you're competing against is, is moving the needle too. Right. And so it can be really hard to actually like realize progress or to realize growth for yourself. And so I think that that's the only thing you can do. I think it's why it's so important that we do things in cycles within training is that like, you have to be able to see that five pounds on the bar. You have to be able to see one extra muscle up. You have to be able to see these little things and like find your little one percent. That's cool, man. How do you manage the, the competing ideations around getting your athletes to trust the process, but then simultaneously, you know, they, they want the outcome. You also want the outcome. And there's these toggling competing tensions of push-pull. And as, as we briefly kind of touched on, with the outcome comes the sponsorships, comes more monetization. Well, with that, now mm -hmm. they can focus more on training. They don't have to work that side hustle job or you know, coach six hours a day and then try to fit in training in between classes. 
and it, it optimizes lifestyle as well. And so there, there's a lot of ideation around those two spots. How do you help create buy-in and nurture that conversation along the journey? I think that all you can do is just have the conversation, right? Is to, is to like dig deep into what the goal is, whatever that outcome happens to be, right? Like why that's important to them. Um, and then to, to give them a better understanding or an education of like why the process is the way to get to the outcome. Um, and I think at the same time, like, you know, finding ways to be more financially solvent as an athlete and not have to work a ton on the side and not have to do these other things like, you know, making the games doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get 500,000 followers and you're going to make hundred K in sponsorship money, right? Like there are a lot of games athletes that have very small followings and aren't making much money, if any money off of the sport. And so I think that's part of why the conversation is so important is like, are you trying to make the games because you want a following and you want sponsors and you want to be like an influencer or a full-time athlete, because that's the wrong reason to do it. And you're going to get there and you're going to realize you're really unhappy when you do. And at the same time, like, there are people that are quarterfinals or semifinals level at levels athletes that have big followings and make the sponsorship money and are able to actually train full time, but aren't actually maybe professionals in the eyes of the sport in that they've made it to the CrossFit games. And so I think you have to like the conversation is so important because you have to be able to disconnect the two and you have to figure out like why these goals are truly important. And that gives you an opportunity to, to reframe back to like what the process is, right? Like if you want to make the games or if you want to have X followers, or if you want to make it to semifinals or whatever, like it still boils down to like, what are we good at? What are we not good at? And what can we actually do for the next three months to get there? And sometimes that means like, okay, we got to pull back on coaching 10 hours a week because you are not able to get in more than an hour of training a day right now. And that's not going to help you get to the level you want to get at. Um, and sometimes it's not. Yeah, it's definitely a compromise along the way. And uh, just earlier this week, LeBron surpassed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Congratulations to him. Definitely something that probably for both of us gives us gentle goosebumps because it seemed like a record that wasn't going to be surpassed. And LeBron's not really known for his scoring. He's talked about that publicly where, you know, he, he was always striving to be a jack of all trades. He kind of came into the league as a a facilitator and almost like a Magic Johnson-esque style player. Mm -hmm. And also to do it with so many expectations from the outside looking in, it, it just seemed like every step of the way he had pressure. He had eyes on him. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a high school athlete. And th there was just a lot there. And you saw people after him that you can relate to. O.J. Mayo never really panned out, even though he was a stud and ended up you know, playing years professionally. Sebastian Telfair being another one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of these guys just never quite panned out. And, you know, the, the point that I want to make with this gentle historical basketball reference is you have the iconic Michael Jordan shot back in the day against the Utah Jazz where he maybe pushed Brian Russell just a little bit, hits the crossover, and then pulls up with the sweet jumper, nothing but net. Iconic picture. He ends up winning the championship in 1998 and retires. And recently there was a pan of the stands. And all the fans are just like on the edge of their seat, just like, is it going to go in? Eyebrows raised, some people hands on their head. There, there's just lots of organic human emotion taking in the experience. And then fast forward to LeBron's shot where everybody kind of knew it was coming. It wasn't to win a championship, so the pressure and the stakes were a little different, but... 
of course, they're going to compare LeBron and MJ. But the uniqueness there was that it wasn't organic human emotion. It was everybody capturing with the phone. And a part of my judgmental brain is like, ah, I'm not really a big fan of that. But then the other part of that is like, it's just the times have shifted and the lenses have changed. And where I see this relating to our CrossFit conversation is exactly what you just said. An element of the sport is pursuing peak expression and trying to maximize your potential as an athlete. The other part of the conversation is career growth. And you have the athletes in the gym that really are not hard on the ice. They're really talented. And every single lift, the phone's got to be up. Every single Metcon, the phone's got to be there so they can play with their reels. And they do a great job in the space of marketing, which then leads to career growth, following growth, sponsor growth, monetization. Not a bad thing, just a different lens. And... Mm. It's definitely challenging because it comes down to what you said, that understanding of like, what is your goal? Okay, is that, do your actions align with your goals? Or, you know, is there a little bit of smoke and mirrors there? And, you know, inevitably with the social media age, are people inevitably craving some sort of notoriety or validation or the click? Or are they actually trying to to grow and improve, you know? So there's a lot to unpack in that question, but I definitely think the lenses there are, are important to note. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think it's, it's like a, it's a conversation of like, is, is the content, is the social media piece, a product of what they're doing for their fitness or is their fitness a product of needing to create content or mm, wanting to create content? That's a good way to describe and it. I think that that's where, I think that that's where we have, we see, you know, sometimes you can tell, sometimes you can't, but like you see people that are very clearly posting highlight reels versus people that are almost using social media as like their journal for what's going on in training. And that can look like a highlight reel sometime. It can still be entertaining, but I think that that's different than just posting your max sets, just posting your best lifts, just posting the movements that you're great at and not posting the process or the things that you're not so good at. Because I think that you see people that are very successful with branding themselves still posting stuff that like they're not good at or posting stuff. That's just like, it's not sexy or it's tough. And that's a part of the process that still, still can be engaging. But then I think you see a lot of people that are chasing that pursuit that are just posting the things that are their sexiest movements that are like their best possible sets. They're only posting on the days where they're hitting PRs, the weeks that they're struggling in the gym, you don't see them post at all. And so I think that while like, you can use your social media however you want. It's not to be a judgment on that. I think that it tells a bit about what that athlete is trying to do by their content. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. I heard, uh, do you remember Brandon Jennings from back in the day? He played for the Bucks for a little bit, had a 50-point mm-hmm. game. He's yep. from where I'm from. He played at Compton Dominguez in L.A., uh, one of the best high school players I ever played against. Went on to play at Oak Hill Academy. And, uh, dude, his high school highlights are unfreaking believable. Some of the things that he was doing, I was just like jaw dropped and I was on the court. <laughs> and yeah. uh, he made a comment the other day around, bro, back in the day, you had to be a stud to get a highlight tape. Like for somebody to make a hoop mix yeah. tape, like you had to be an absolute killer. Modern day, everybody's got a highlight reel. And it's just so fascinating to me to see how the times have changed where 
I do think there's a little bit of judgment from the 90s babies because that was the time when the technological evolution or revolution was kind of taking place. Like I remember sharing a Nokia phone with my brother in like eighth, ninth grade. I didn't have the sidekick. I wasn't like one of the cool guys that like had my head down that was like texting all the girls or like had the internet access when we were on the bus (laughs) to the game. And now everybody's got it. And so there's, there's this unique in between that, that maybe you can relate to around like a part of me is just like, all right, let's put the thing away and be fully present. But then the other part of me is like, nah, but it's kind of a part of it. It's a part of the game now. It's a part of the lenses. It's a part of capturing for some people. It's journaling for some people. It's, you know, having fun and and being creative. And it's just so fascinating that it really is part of the conversation now. I mean, we see Kevin Durant, right? He had the challenges with the burner phone back in the day and the drama that comes with that. And Silly media people like myself, and I'm going to throw his name in there even though I don't belong in the same conversation as Stephen A. Smith, but then people like us start running our mouths around some of the social media advancements, and it it just makes it for for interesting banter, I'll say. Oh, it's definitely interesting banter, but I feel like like it's almost a necessary piece for our sport because, you know, when you're in basketball, there's... 82 plus games in the season, right? And so, and they're all televised. And so you have an opportunity to see it all, see the highlights, see everything on television. For CrossFit, like outside of competitions that might get decent coverage, that might not, like social media is the way that we see what's going on in the space and it's what keeps the buzz going. It's what, you know, people like Brian Friend use part of the time to keep, keep tabs on like what's going on with athletes. It's how we communicate between one another. It's as a coach, it's how I like, Sometimes we'll gather information to be like, oh, like that was an interesting piece they did or, oh, like that was interesting how they did that movement or, oh, like, you know, that was a lot of volume on that piece. And like it gives me critical thinking. It gives athletes things to interact about or to, you know, (laughs) build or lose confidence based on what they see from other people. And so I I think I don't want to say that it's part of what keeps the sport alive, but I think it's certainly an engaging piece of the sport that has a strong place because it. It gives us conversation. Yeah, I definitely th- it gives a pulse. It helps you information yeah. gather. And back in the day, if you Googled somebody or, you know, I guess if we put it into the Yahoo search engine um, back <laughs> in the day, um, you're, you're trying to figure out information. And sometimes you find it, sometimes you don't, right? Like, and now yeah. we're, we're seeing things advance and update in real time. And so it, it definitely, when used appropriately, can can be a really, really cool tool. And going go back to you, Kiefer, you're involved in a lot. I mean, one of the things that ties us is the Invictus Boston connection. Now you're connected mm-hmm. with underdogs. You're the head of Black Iron Training. And when we spoke briefly at dinner, we both could relate around the concept of say yes and figure it out later. And sometimes yeah. that means just taking on too much and I, I guess the, the title of that book would be your professional FOMO embarker, I guess. A hundred percent. Touch on that yeah. a little bit. Uh, I don't, it, it's a little bit of a lot of things, right? Like it, there's a hundred percent of FOMO aspect of it where it's like, you know, if an opportunity comes up or somebody's doing something that I think that I could be helpful in, like, I don't want to miss out on that because I like to be involved. I like to help people. I like to, uh, I like to learn at the same time. Um, but a piece of it too is like, 
and you know, Justin Kotler and I have talked about this before too, but like, I'm still feeling like I'm constantly in pursuit of like figuring out what my thing really is and not my thing in that, like, I don't know what I'm good at or like what I want to do, but like, I don't know, within the coaching space, it's still really hard to figure out like, what is the career that I can see myself doing when I'm 40 or 45 or 50? Like, I don't feel comfortable yet, if that makes sense. Um, I have an amazing job coaching for underdogs and I get to be out here in Vegas with a crew in person. I get to travel. I'm a big part of the programs that we, um, that we put out for subscription base, but it's not like, you know, it, it doesn't feel like the end, whether that's just an evolution of what we're doing within underdogs or something else. And so I think that each step of the way, when that was, you know, I coached at Invictus Boston and I wrote the programming for Invictus and through that and through Kelsey Keel, I met black iron, I met the owner of Black Iron, Chrissy May Cagney, and I started writing training programs for them. And like, that was the next step for me. And it was an opportunity to work remotely, which gave me some more freedom with the things that I did. And then through Tola and Kelsey, I met Justin and I started with underdogs. And each thing is just like, I say yes, because I'm like trying to get to the point of being able to say no, I, is almost the best way to say it, you know? Um, and I'm incredibly fortunate. And I know that it's unique in that I've been working for people that are um, understanding of where I'm at and they respect me and they know that I respect them. And so they've allowed me to kind of like spread myself between a couple of different things. And I think in a lot of other, other situations I wouldn't be able to, but I don't know. I think that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be as good of a coach as I am without having this like variety of opportunities. Um, and I think that if it weren't for these things, like the way my brain works, like I would just find a way to spill my time with something else anyway. Right. Like, I feel like I always need another project. I'm much better at starting things than I am at finishing things. And so it all just turns into me like saying yes and getting on board and doing this project and starting a podcast and doing different things because I just, I don't know, it's exciting. And I, I just, every door that I've opened has opened an additional two or three doors for me. And so I think that that's kind of an addicting feeling that I continue to chase. I like that for a guy that says that he doesn't press pause and, and reflect, you got a pretty good self-assessment radar on, on your strengths, your weaknesses, and you know, some of the things that give you that, that daily intrinsic motivation. This episode is brought to you by HVMN health via modern nutrition. They launched the world's first ketone drink in 2017, and then in 2022 launched the version 2 of their exogenous ketone product line called Ketone IQ. I found that incorporating ketones into my morning routine increased my daily focus and energy. The beauty of this product is that you can stack it. It doesn't even have to replace your morning routine. My morning routine looks like taking the dog on a walk, hitting my daily shot of Ketone IQ, hopping in the cold plunge, and then finishing it off with a nice Trident coffee while I soak up some morning sunlight. Try out some ketones for yourself by using the code INVICTUS for 20% off Ketone IQ. Ketones are a super efficient fuel for your brain that leaves you feeling energized and clear-headed. Give it a shot. I promise you won't regret it. Once again, Use code INVICTUS for 20% off Ketone IQ. Move fast and break shit. This is one of the core values at LSKD and something that we fully resonate with here at the Invictus Mindset Podcast. LSKD develops functional sportswear with a streetwear aesthetic that's on a mission to inspire you 
to chase the vibe through sport, fitness, and adventure. Through my experiences with LSKD products and their team members, I have found a brand that I can call home that keeps me performing at my highest level through fitness and business. I train daily in the rep shorts and love the versatility they offer so I can go from training at the gym directly to meetings, client consults, running errands, or preparing for podcasts. The LSKB vibe has finally reached San Diego, and we want you to experience it too. Go to us.lskd.co to start shopping today. We want to inspire you to chase the vibe. And you've talked about it before with me, and I really appreciate people that can speak so eloquently and metaphorically to illicit imagery. But kind of what I'm hearing based on your experiences and the accumulation of tools for your toolbox is that you're, you're a mud of all the experiences that you've had. And can, can you touch on that a little bit, how you're, you're such an artist and how you kind of pick things up along the way? and add them in, into your own repertoire to make it yours. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's the way that I've always been as a coach. You know, I, I, um, I started coaching in college, uh, working with the basketball team, also working with a couple of the soccer teams as a strength coach. And then I left and I took an internship at a facility called Cressy Performance that worked with like some of the best baseball players That's in the Eric world. That's Eric Cressy, right? That was our niche. Yep. Smart, smart dude. Yeah. Got um, some great content out smart there. Smart dude. One, uh, he is, I mean, one of the most influential people in my coaching life, um, through him met Mike Reinold, who was the PT that worked really closely with him and ended up being the head strength coach at that facility. And we worked with baseball and that spun off into a couple other sports. And he brought on a couple new physical therapists that were in the CrossFit space, um, and, and the weightlifting space and gymnastics space. And so I feel like I've just had these stepping stones working from traditional sports to working in different specialties that have been a part of CrossFit to now working in CrossFit. And, you know, younger coaches ask me like, like, where should I go to like learn more about programming or coaching? And I genuinely, truly don't know how to answer the question because I don't feel like there was like a place that did it for me. I feel like I've spent, you know, 10 years writing programs for people, spent 10 years looking at programs that other people write. And I've, I've like taken a little bit from here and taking a little bit from there. And when I started, I was much more of a mirror, mirror of my mentors. And now I'm much more of like a mode of my mentors because there's so many things in the mix that, uh, I don't think it looks like any one thing anymore. It's just my experiences tied with things that I continue to learn even to this day and figuring out what makes sense for the way I like to do things and what doesn't necessarily fit. And sometimes that's just trial and error. I, I think you just gave the answer away though, for the people that are asking, how do I get better at coaching or programming? It's, it's exposure. It's doing the thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, how did I learn to do a podcast? I had to screw it up every way possible. And then, you know, Oh, okay. Now I, I understand the, the right question to ask in the beginning. You don't know what you don't know. You're not really understanding mm -hmm. energy systems. It just looks like a, cluster of exercise selection thrown in and then, and then you gently understand, oh, okay, there is a strength template. We're in this element of the season, so we're striving to peak for this thing. And right now you guys are obviously prepping for the open, which is you know a week and change away. And as you get a pulse for it and you get exposure in all these different arenas with different teams, you start to kind of understand what works and what doesn't work 
But then you also possess the humility to be like, there needs to be a little trial and error. I'm going to try this thing. I'm going to tinker mm-hmm. in the lab a little bit. I'm going to see if it works. And I, I'm, I'm not going to speak for you, but for myself, I received pretty formal exercise science strength and conditioning education. And I've actually spent a lot of the last, I don't know, six, seven years kind of undoing the brainwashing that kind of took place because I was like, oh, periodization, it makes sense. Like if I were to give these things to a lab rat, they should peak here. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't take into consideration the human component and the lifestyle component and the emotional component. And obviously we can be a little bit more stringent with competitive CrossFit athletes or professional athletes when they're within their sport, because a lot of these things are non-negotiables. They shouldn't be allowing the outside noise to penetrate. But for the day to day, I've heard you talk about it before for people that are using CrossFit or strength and conditioning to optimize health biomarkers and become better interactors with the world. The specificity of program design maybe doesn't matter as much. The movement matters. Getting in the gym consistently matters. And it's less about the CrossFit program design and more about the CrossFit lifestyle. And I've heard you talk about some of these things before. Will you gently touch on on some of these topics a little bit? I know I danced around a little bit, but how your brain works kind of around CrossFit for health versus CrossFit for sport. Because it's something that gets deeply confused within our space. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, they're, they're almost entirely different things and not that if you look at any given day that they're going to look that different, but the way that they're applied over long periods of time, I think are super different. Um, for 99% of our population, for all the people, most of the people just going to an affiliate or the people that have not yet gone to an affiliate or a gym, like just showing up and doing 30 to 60 minutes worth of moving around, elevating your heart rate, having some form of intensity and moving through a variety of movement patterns, like is your ticket in that one hour of the day, right? There's the other 23 hours you have to take care of, but like that has very little to do with exercise and a whole lot to do with like your stress management, your nutrition, your sleep, all of that. CrossFit training, training for CrossFit as a sport requires that you have some degree of a long-term plan, some version of periodization, whatever that means to you or whatever your philosophy is on that sort of thing. Right. And so I think that CrossFit as a sport can be something that people admire and something that gets them into the gym and motivates them and stuff. But understanding that like the minutia of what's going on with that is not is not what it, what it's about. It's not what matters for those people that are just showing up to the gym, because I can promise that showing up and doing the work is, I don't know, it's 95% of it, right? Like people argue over programming all the time, but when it comes down to like what your class program looks like, as long as you're having some variety over the course of the week, you're keeping people safe and you're not programming like, uh, irresponsible things. Like it, if you can, inspire them to work intensely for the time that they're there, they're going to be healthier for it. Yeah, I think that's very true. Something that's also really fascinating to me is this concept of of monetization. Some people think of that in, in forms of money. Some people think time is our highest form of currency. Uh, some people think it's attention. I actually think it's maybe focus. I used to think it was attention, but now I'm thinking more in terms of focus. 
And what I'm curious about, Kiefer, is when you're writing these various programs, I mean, you have countless CrossFit Games athletes. You have people that are maybe that semifinals level as well. You have people that are recreational. You have group programs that you're writing, individual programs that you're writing, and then probably accessory programs intertwined. There's a lot of variability within your program design and the different things and spreadsheets that you're putting your head into. How do you get yourself into that focal point for that specific version of programming? Is it time blocking? Is it change of environment? Is it, oh, I need to work out first so I'm in a better state? Is it, you know, Mm -hmm. post meal? Like what's the thing that you do to get yourself in the state to be fully present for that demographic of people that you are programming for? Uh, the biggest thing is I like try to compartmentalize so or time block or however you want to think of it. But like I program what we're doing for CrossFit for our athletes on a different day at a different time than I'll program any of like the gen pop related programs that I do because I just feel like it's like a different version of my brain or a different I'm like pulling from different experiences for that. Um, that's the biggest piece of it. Outside of that, truthfully, like the I, I've had a really hard time the last year with creating noise-free space for myself to think and to do work. Um, and I think part of that is that I've kind of reached, like I've reached the peak of how much I can take on with things. Um, which is not to say that I've spilled over it, but I'm definitely like at that borderline where I'm starting to be like, all right, like I can't figure out where to put these pieces or, you know, I've had a hard time creating routine for myself. It's, it's, a. It's been a mission for 2023 to me to create a better routine and a better structure to be more productive in my work and to also be able to do more quality work and to determine if I actually am doing an amount of work that is productive for my own health and happiness, uh, you know, while balancing the considerations of finance and family time and all of these other things. So I don't know if I answered your question directly, but it's definitely like leads to the conversation of what I've been working on myself right now is like, knowing that I'm spread relatively thin, probably more thin than some other people could. And I think that's evidenced by how many people ask me, like how I write all the programs I do or do all the things I do. Um, but yeah, I just think, God, the, the best thing that I've been able to do for myself is, is to just compartmentalize and block off different days where I can feel like I'm coaching or programming as a different person. I really appreciate you giving me an honest answer there. I definitely think the, the frequency of the universe brought us together recently just because I'm kind of in a, in a similar space of just like trying to do too many things all the time where inevitably there's going to be a little bit of bleed over and you start to pause and you're like, okay, how do we scale? How do we empower a team? How do we strive to create better systems? And Mm -hmm. I think that's challenging sometimes for the creative mind and for the person that has that walk on mentality of like, Never ask for help. Don't show weakness. Figure it out on your own. Um, you know, there, there's all these probably toxic masculine traits of just like, I can figure it out. I always have. I always will. Why is this not working for me anymore? And I think humbly mm-hmm. surrendering to that and sharing that is actually something that most high performers deal with. But outwardly to the public, it's this stoic mentality of like, oh, yeah, I got to figure it out. Don't worry about me, da, da, da. And it's this unique social conditioning that I think is 
is slowly but surely untangling a little bit because I mean you talk about some of these motivational speakers wake up at 2.30 you know you can do this much at th- from this time to this time and I mean Kobe talked about some of these things too and for some people they work man like they do a great job of blocking out things or they have systems in place or supporters along the way or people to help watch their kids or people that manage their social media or, or the various tasks so they could focus on the thing And I think sometimes that's the stuff that's not quite talked about. And it's just challenging to get to that point where you can financially delegate a little bit. And then from a leadership perspective, be okay with other people making the mistakes that you know they're going to make. You could probably do it a little Mm -hmm. bit better in the beginning, but you know that that's part of the process, right? Now we're teaching ourselves what we try to teach others in a, in a business or program design or a creative project arena around like, oh, this is that thing that seems so easy when I'm talking to them from an athlete perspective and trying to maximize their potential there. But when you do it over here mm-hmm. and you know the formatting is going to be wrong on the program or the reps are going to be a little bit off or it's going to be over or under programmed, you're like, oh, I just want to fix it, but I can't. Like, Are, are some of these topics or... Um, categories kind of hitting the nail on the head and resonating a little bit yeah a hundred percent um you know i wouldn't i never would have thought of myself as a control freak but i do feel like i am when it comes to programming related things and i think part of that is that you know i've almost operated in a silo for so long like like i where if I'm not going to write the programming, it's not going to get done. Like there isn't that other person to bring in to do it. And there've been points of time where like that was the case because there wasn't somebody that understood my process the way I did, or like the group of people I was working with the way I did. Um, there are times where like, you know, whether it's myself or the group I'm working for, didn't have the finances to pay another person to take on some of that work. And I couldn't afford to get rid of it. Um, and there are parts of it, points of it maybe where it's just like me, being afraid to relinquish control of things, which I know is something that I have to come to terms with a little bit more. Um, I, I had, do you know Zach Forrest? Uh, did he used to operate max effort there in Vegas? Yep. Zach. Yeah. Zach Forrest was the owner of max effort. He's a seminar staff guy. He's, you know, been to the games a couple of times. And so he lives out in Vegas and we went, we went, we had, we had lunch a couple of weeks ago and we were having this conversation just about like work and, taking on a lot. And, uh, and one of the things I said to him was like, I feel like at every job at most jobs that I've ever had, I've always felt this sense of like ownership as if it was my own company, right? Like I've always been totally. the employee that like, I definitely honor that. And Jason Kalipa talks about that. Hey, if you want to yeah. evolve into, you know, a higher position or be a high performing individual, inevitably, you got to put yourself in those shoes. And I mean, motivational speakers say you want to, you want to be the part, look the part, dress the part, play the actor in the beginning while you're mimicking. And then inevitably, like you're going to fall into that position. So I totally honor that. Well, so the the question I asked him is, is is like, I was almost frustrated in asking is like, I don't understand why I continue to do this for other people's companies. Or like, I don't know if this is a mistake that I keep doing this. Like, um, for other people or, or, you know, I was saying like, why do I feel like other employees don't feel the same sense of ownership over things that I do? And that's part of why I have a hard time delegating things out is like, I don't think that they're going to care about it the way that Mm -hmm. I do. But then the question I get asked is like, well, why do you care about it the way that you do? It's like, cause I feel, cause I feel like it's mine because my name's on it or something. 
Um, you know, and, and the way he described it to me is he's like, he's like the only difference between you and the per a person, the person who truly owns the entity or the company they're working for is, is risk. And it put me in the spiral. And I keep thinking about this and I've been thinking about it for a long time. It's like, there's no question that I'm willing to put in the work and the extra hours, or maybe I have the skill sets to do certain things or have ownership over things or to start my own thing or whatever that happens to be. But for whatever reason, I haven't been willing to like take the risk to actually be that person. And whether that's taking the risk to give up one job to fully invest in a different job or taking the risk to do something on my own or whatever that is. Um, and so I still don't really know the answer to it, but like, that's been, it, it's been tripping me. Yeah. For, for I mean, a you and I are very similar in that regard and I'll potentially say this, you're hundred percent correct. Correct. I mean, Zach gave you amazing advice there. I also think though, with, with the risk changes the role. And so mm -hmm. I think right now you love the idea of program design and being creative and building relationships and being able to foster true growth in the, the clients and the individuals and the athletes that you get to interact with. By taking on the risk, it removes elements of what lights your soul on fire. I think it makes you focused more on all right, how do we monetize these programs? How do we enhance the marketing mm -hmm. so that way we can get more people on the programs? How do we, you know, grow the business? So you, you zoom out, you start working on the mm -hmm. business, which is mostly numbers, data analytics, and the non-sexy stuff. And then inevitably you stop working in the business. And for some people, they, they get into that space. They're like, man, this is where I thrive. But then for some people, they get to that side of it and they're just like, ooh, this isn't quite as sexy. Maybe it comes with the title of CEO or owner or, or founder or whatever the thing is. But with that comes a lifestyle that, that changes. And some people, I think, can adapt to that and some people can't. And for some people, too, it's like, I got to taste that. I, I'm always curious and wondering what like the, the picture portrays behind me. I want to peek behind the curtain. What is that? I want to get over there. I like it. Ah, some, some about it, it really is pulling my interest. And honestly, Kiefer, at the right time, I think you'll probably do that dance. But I also think very yeah. similar to the way you made the shift from Invictus Boston to underdogs where it was like, it, 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 you, you had the courage to be like, you know what? Like, I want to, I want to do both. And I think sometimes the world the social conditioning is like, no, you need to cut that string to fully invest in that string. And like, that, that, I don't know that you have to do that. And that's messy and that doesn't feel mm -hmm. good. And it feels like you're not being loyal. And any team thought provoked individual wants to maintain relationships, wants to stay loyal and also wants to pursue what's behind the curtain. And so it's like a fun yeah. problem solving thought exercise for sure. But I, I think the comment that Zach said around risk is 100% spot on, but also changes your skill set a little bit and will have to evolve it into more of a non-sexy numbers type type thought process. And yeah. also, if there's a brick and mortar, the, the main question is, how do we keep the lights on? How do we keep employees yep. employed? Yeah, no, you're totally right. And, and obviously, like, you know, being one of the owners of underdogs, this has been 
these have been conversations that we have all the time, right? Like I am in that back room with that too. And so it's definitely changed my role and my perspective and it changes where my, where my mind is split when we made decisions, which is nice. And, you know, one of the biggest benefits is that there is no overhead of a brick and mortar with it. And so the risk is a little bit lower because, you know, God forbid something fails with it, right? Like there's not an entire business or entire uh, physical structure that's going down with that. Right. And so it's different. And, but that was a big part of the conversation is, you know, having this talk of like, I've always loved the idea of having a gym, but I've never wanted to open a gym because, um, I don't want the risk, but also because I don't know that I want to open the gym that on paper is like the most successful business model for a gym, right? Like I want the playground gym that I've always envisioned for myself. And that's very different than a gym that makes money. Yeah, man, the, the ideation around things versus the physical, actionable is definitely different especially dude when you take it even in in deeper into the weeds you've got permitting you've got affiliate fees you got liability yeah you've got payroll like there's so many different elements to to business that maybe relates to program design maybe doesn't but i really do for for anybody listening out there in the business world why does business have to be so like cryptic like you go to the Mm. franchise tax board website and it's just so confusing like you try to start like an llc or an s corp and it's almost like they're not actually giving you the roadmap to do it you have to like google how to do it and then ask people that have done it before it's like why can't this just be straightforward and inevitably it's almost like they don't want you to be a business owner they don't want it to be relatively easy And it's definitely something that we talked about the evolution of social media and some of these technological advancements that have really improved fast. The, the, on the other side, the business development, I feel like is kind of slow. Like it's still behind the curve a little bit. Yeah. It's almost like that's their first barrier to entry to like determine whether or not you're intelligent enough to start a business is if you can interpret what they're doing. Yeah. Right. You definitely need like your own uh, thesaurus to figure out what some of the terminology means, especially if you didn't go to business school. <laughs> but ironically, sure. to flip the script, I think there's transferable skills. My buddy Logan Galbraith and I have talked about that a lot. He played baseball for the Padres. Now he's the owner of Deuce Gym. He's done some really cool entre- entrepreneurial endeavors, gives talks all around the world now, highly respected thought leader within the space. And there are transferable skills. And I think there's a lot of unique qualities, characters, traits, and relationships that do bridge the gap between athlete and business owner. And that's something I wanted to chat with you next. Like This episode is brought to you by Mush. My friends over at Mush created an incredibly cool product of ready-to-eat overnight oats. And for those of you that listen to the podcast often, you know simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And Mush has done just that, as their products have no more than seven clean ingredients that are dairy-free, gluten-free, with no added sugar. Mush started right here at Invictus, as they had a vision to create convenient, healthy, and clean nutrition. And this landed them on Shark Tank, where the famous Mark Cuban invested in them. Now they're found in retailers all over the country, including Costco, Sprouts, Target, and Whole Foods. Check out my friends over at www.eatmush.com. You seem to be an absolute master within the world of authentic relationship building. 
And something that we've got to take part in and that I've heard you chat about offline is just the importance of connecting outside of the workspace, outside of the arena, going to dinner, maybe grabbing some drinks in a quiet bar where you can sink in, tell some stories and not feel like there's a transactional component where you can just have a moment to be humans. Will you, will you touch on the mm-hmm. connection and relationship building aspect of your world? I guess I don't know how best to explain it, but like it's something that's always been so important to me, maybe because I know how much I invest in things that it feels like that's the way that it reciprocates to me is like having an opportunity to connect outside of the gym where like I'm the coach, they're the athlete or, you know, I'm the coach, they're the client of mine, gives me an opportunity to like put us back on a very level playing field and maybe to feel like they can learn about me or understand me the way that I feel like I've had an opportunity to do so in the other space because you know, like, uh, going to coach at the gym is like very one directional. Right. And I don't think that it's anybody's fault at all. I don't think that it's a malicious thing, but like when I go to the gym, the expectation is that the attention is on them almost to the point of like, I could ask somebody how their day is and they don't ask how mine is yep, in return. I can really, I don't do. think they mean it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that everybody means it. I know that most people don't mean it and I have incredible people that I work with, but like that's their mindset in the space. And I don't necessarily blame them, but it's really hard for me to not recognize that or feel like I am there as a supplement to what they're trying to do. Or I'm there as just like a a supporter of their, their goals. When the reality is like, not like I have goals too, or I have things that I need to do, or like I'm showing up to the gym today, which is taking away from my opportunity to do something else to show up for myself or for my dogs or to get work done so that I don't have to work until nine or 10 at night or whatever that is. And so, um, it's not uncommon for me to kind of like go through waves of emotions on how I feel about those things, because, you know, like, yes, I coach a group of athletes in person and I consider it a part of my job and I love doing it. But like the truth of it is that my, what I'm paid to do is to like write programs for them and to coach remotely and do these other things. And so when I show up to the gym, it's taking away from that stuff. And when I show up to the gym for four hours in the middle of the day, that that means that my morning and my night turned into my actual like work mm-hmm. hours. And so this has kind of gone off tangent, but like, I, I think that that's a, the two big reasons that connecting outside the gym or whatever workspace it is have become so super important to me is one, I feel like it creates a deeper relationship with the person partly so that they can know me, which I know is like kind of a selfish pursuit, but partly so that I can feel like we've gotten back onto like a level playing field where I don't feel like they're above me or like I'm doing stuff for them all the time. Um, and the second is that like, I truly have a hard time turning my brain off from Mm -hmm. things. Like I'm constantly thinking about work, whether that's like thinking about a program design related thing or thinking about something for the business or like worrying that I did something wrong or like stressing about something that's coming up with it. And there's like very few ways that I'm able to turn off and actually like return to being a normal human and being present. Um, and like one of them is, you know, Kyra and I watch Netflix quite a bit and we almost joke that like, you know, we'll be on the couch kind of watching TV, but really I'm writing programs and she's watching TV. And when it's time to go to bed, like she's ready for bed. And I sit there like, I didn't get to wind mm-hmm. down yet. Like I need, I need a yeah. minute. Dude, while you're describing, uh, I just, think myself and, and many other coaches out there can can absolutely relate. I, I also think that it makes you feel like a human app where you're used mm-hmm. as a tool, which a part of that is very fulfilling. It, it really feels like you're impacting, you're, you're positively interacting with the world. 
And as Elon Musk would say, you're useful. So there's tons of positive. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not trying to get into like a victimhood or a martyr style mentality. But I also think it's important to note that coaches are humans too. And typically Mm -hmm. when there is a reciprocity or a give and a take on both sides, it enhances the, the roots within the relationship. And so I do actually challenge athletes when your coach says, hey, how are you? Or, you know, how are you feeling today? Ask back. I think that that actually makes the coaching experience better. Enhances the, the brand loyalty, really. We'll pro- we would probably see less training camp hopping because there's an actual deeper, more meaningful connection versus I'm pissed off. Like, I didn't make it to the games this year. I didn't like the program design. Like, I'm going to another place where I can, you know, develop this weakness of mine that hasn't developed in two years. And it's like, dude, yeah. we've heard that so many times. At what point do you take personal accountability? Stop pointing the finger just at the coach and realize I was only partially invested and I was, I was only invested as an athlete versus my entire being being invested into the process. And Alan Watts, the famous philosopher, talks about this. When you become so focused on just that one thing, that one thing actually begins to suffer because you're not encompassing all of the spokes within the wheel. There's many spokes within mm-hmm. the wheel of the human experience. And if you want to maximize the velocity, the speed, and the, the different obstacles that that wheel is going to go over, inevitably, you have to tenderize and water all of those different spokes t- for them to grow in strength and thickness and the ability to overcome resilience. And so I, I really do honor what you said. Um, it's part of the reason why I actually don't like the word coach. I think it creates a barrier between mm-hmm. the, the person that you're trying to help. I actually kind of like the term helper. You're collaborating. You're helping one another. And that's a, it's a unique word. It almost sounds like you're like a caretaker of some sort. But in some ways you are. Like you're trying to play mm-hmm. so many different roles. And the expectations for a coach, dude, super high. Super high. And I love bridging this or kind of relating it to the medical field where – Physicians have all this education, which for some is phenomenal, for some is brainwashing, for some limits their actual scope and perspective, and they get so much respect for being awesome in that one category. But with a coach, you need to be awesome in every single category. You screw up one thing, it's like, ah, I'm not working with that person anymore because there's no like health insurance model. There's no depth within the thing. So it's like you can just jump to the next coach. And it's an interesting right. thought process, man. I really appreciate you kind of touching on that because I think it's a topic that's thought about. But people are like, oh, I don't really want to say this out loud. Yeah. Yeah, it's unique. And it's, it's again, it's different than other sports uh, for a variety of reasons. But But one of them is that like it's not uncommon for a coach and an athlete to be like very similar in age sometimes. Right. And to be at like very similar points in life. And there's not a big disparity in terms of like uh socio socioeconomic status or any of those things. And so it should be a relationship. I think that is very, um, uh, I don't know, like reciprocal yeah. and versus transactional. Um, but I think that's a big part of what we've tried to do and what we've done well and what Justin's built for underdogs is like, it truly is like family like out here. Right. And we have family dinners and we have big gatherings and things. And after events, we all celebrate together and we try to do a lot as a unit to make it less like that. That's super cool. 
That's definitely something we try to do here at Invictus too. You know, it's it's more than just the arena. Uh, the relationships built, the memories made. I mean, I look back on my competitive experiences here at Invictus from 2014 to 2018. I'm not going to lie, man. I don't remember the specifics of a lot of those training sessions. I remember the chest bumps after PRs. I remember the, the goofing off while playing spike ball in warmups. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, cussing at each other in the middle of the competition floor to get the job done. Um, I remember some of those conversations at the meals. And yeah, training sessions were, were rigorous. And I remember some of the peaks and some of the valleys. But the real memories, if I were to pause and reflect and look at a panorama movie-like view, are from the in-between. And, and yeah. I, th- I think that's where the family dynamic comes in. It, it comes in the, the deeper, more meaningful conversations. Who was there during, during the challenges of life? And something I've been thinking about a lot recently is unchosen suffering in life, it, it's inevitably going to happen. And that could be in the form of, of losing a loved one. That can be in the form of financial stress, losing a job, an injury, um, you know, relationships ending that there, there can be so many things that come that are unaccounted for that you don't really expect, but the way you navigate unchosen suffering is actually through chosen suffering. It's through choosing to do the hard thing consistently and, and, and electing to do hard things really. And then inevitably you start to build resilience or David Goggins talks about callousing the mind. And I mean, even mm-hmm. you and I, doing a little partner piece the other day, realizing that, man, you've been, you've been traveling, your back's probably pretty tight. You know, I was coming in, you know, dealing with some other different stresses and the bond that we made with one another by just choosing to suffer with each other and realizing like, man, those last two rounds were tough, like hanging on for all seven bar muscle ups and maintaining our relative intensity on the machine without any judgment, just realizing like, Hey, this is where Mm -hmm. we are. And because of that bond, what did it lead to? Depth within the relationship, dinner later that night, a podcast now. And and it's just, there's so many layers to the human experience by just saying yes. And so don't fault yourself for saying yes along the way, dude. (laughs) That's cool. Go into your injustice relationship, man, as we kind of wrap things up. I just want to kind of give people a little bit of a lens. I've seen Justin behind the scenes in the coaches area. He gets fired up, man. He's, he's the raw, raw guy. He's given aggressive high fives, chest bumps. Um, super fun to be around. Definitely brings the energy. You counteract that. You're a great yin to the yang. You like to listen. You like to process. You kind of gravitate more towards those one-on-one conversations versus like the one conversation with the all-inclusive group, which... Both of you Mm -hmm. guys can interchange. Both of you guys are very capable of playing different roles. But this is kind of my lenses on, you know, what I've seen in competition and what I've kind of observed with your athletes. How do you guys kind of navigate your coaching space? And is is this something that was planned? Has it happened kind of organically where, you know, it's just cool to see how you guys complement one one another. And it's also just to relate Mm -hmm. to us over at Invictus, like Holden and Hunter are very similar the way they kind of navigate each other. And then, you know, CJ kind of plays his role every now and then I'll jump in and kind of give my two cents. And it's just, it's just cool to see the, the various roles that people play within the growth and development of a training camp within a 12 month cycle. 
Uh, honestly, ours has been super easy to create. Um, I think just the natural balance of our personality types, as well as the fact that he's just, I think he's old enough. He's been around long enough and he's confident enough in himself and what he's doing and also confident enough in me that like there is, there has never been, I don't think we've ever had a single moment of butting heads where he felt like I was stepping on his toes or I felt like he wasn't giving me an opportunity to breathe and speak and do things. And so, um, you know, that's huge credit to him for like creating a space for me with that. But I also think it just happened at the right time where like the camp was growing enough that he knew that we needed another person. Um, I'm relatively capable of kind of like like seeing the role that needs to be filled and filling in my role and not needing to like overstep until it's time. Uh, I think a lot of the ways that we balance our energy in part is because that's who we are as people, right? Like he's much more fiery. I'm much more analytical and I'm a little bit quieter up front and I'm a little bit more shy to like, to like put my voice out there. Um, but part of it too is like, you know, for the last year that I've been here, I've very much been like, taking steps to continue to learn. And I listen to what he's doing and I figure that out and figure out what that, what that means for me and my coaching style. And, you know, when we go to a big event and we just have a couple athletes competing, like he's the forefront and I'm the support. And so he has the big talk and I have side talks and he's the big energy and I'm there to give him a high five, but also to bring us back down because we got another event going on. Um, you know, and so it's just, it's been a really cool, natural evolution that I think is just like unique to us and our relationship and unique to the time periods that we're at in our career. So cool, man. So cool. Yeah. What are you expecting from this year's open? It's coming up here in about a week and a half. Um, what are some thoughts that, that, that come to mind? The season is already here. It comes so fast, dude. You think you get that like lull after the games and then before you know it, Rogue's here, Wadapalooza's here, and now the open is here in 2023. It's uh, I'm excited. I'm stoked. I actually, so I wasn't in Vegas yet last year for the open. So this is my first one here oh, with the cool. crew. Um, but, uh, we had our athlete camp two weeks ago and somebody asked us too. they're like, you know, what do you think is going to come up at in the open? What's going to come up in quarterfinals and stuff. And I, I said, honestly, I said, I have no freaking idea. And I said, and if you think, I think that if you're trying to figure it out, that you're already studying for the wrong test. And so I like, I truly believe that. And I very much try to like keep myself one step away from trying to guess what it is, because I think that I'm always going to be wrong if I do, especially now with having a new programmer and we can't even use historical data to help us. Um, I'm just excited, man. I expect them to be tough. I expect something to be funky and new. Um, I expect that everybody's programming template is going to change right after the open because he's going to do something that nobody's been doing. We're going to be like, fuck, now we got to put what we got to plan for yeah, this now. <laughs> Thanks, Dave Newman, for the, so. the double under crosses last year. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, yeah. I don't think we'll obviously see those in the preliminary stages, but you did mention you're not sure about the historical reference, but I do want to play devil's advocate there because he's done a great job really pulling from the CrossFit journal. And that's where it, yeah. it gets unique. Yeah. The parallel bars last year and, and some of the things that you're seeing, you know, huge, hugely different from the traditional Dave Castro things that we saw. And inevitably that's not a knock on Dave. That's just, we all have our biases. We kind of all get mm -hmm. stuck in our ways of thinking this, these things are going to lead to the fittest on earth. And that doesn't make it wrong or right. It just ma makes it different and definitely changes, yeah. changes the lenses on the sport for sure. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's kind of what I meant by historical data. I don't, I didn't mean like the roots of CrossFit. I mean more like, you know, what we've seen the last three to six years from things. Um, but I think that that, that sort of journey 
is, is the same for anybody, right? It's the same for us. Like we both have traditional exercise science backgrounds. And now if you look 10 years later, it's like what you do for a program has deterred so far from what you started oh, yeah. with, partly because of like what you learn also because of your own biases and stuff. And I think that's no different for somebody like Dave too, right? Like there probably isn't anybody or there are a few people that know the journal better than Dave does, but what his style or what we see that reflected as changes over time as his experience change things or as it just kind of broadens from that. Yeah. I've been a big, big fan of Adrian Bosman so far. He, he, he possesses mm-hmm. a nice calm energy. I think he is always on the quest to be 1% better and definitely doesn't seem to have tremendous ego. He, he approaches the yeah. position with a lot of curiosity. I feel like he's taking in a lot of feedback from the community, which I would argue is sometimes overwhelming, but huge shout out to him. I got to get him on the show. I'm, I'm curious to uh, pick his brain and kind of see what's yeah. below the surface as he has one year under his belt now with, with some cool data points that'll help him move the needle in the right direction. And our listeners heard me say just now 1% better every day. You and I have some cool connections to LSKD. They are a new supporter of our show. And I'm, I'm nice. just loving their stuff, man. Um, but more importantly, I love, their, I love their people. I love their, their mission statement of inspiring people to chase the vibe. What are your thoughts around, around their branding? Like they're definitely newer into the space, making some really healthy mm-hmm. noise. But man, some of these values are just, just really get me fired up. God, I, I mean, the clothing aside, I feel like the reason that I've attached so heavily to them and the brand is just like the people, the people feel very authentic Mm -hmm. as like humans that I want to spend time around and they feel very authentic and like, they're not coming in with this, like, well, maybe they do and I'm wrong, but like, but the super specific or super thought out marketing plan for anything, they're just like jumping in. They're like, this is cool. We like cool shit. We want to jump in and be a part of this. We're going to show up to the events. We're going to give out we're going to give out clothing to people. We want to see people wearing our stuff. We want to hear back from them. And so they just have this like very authentic vibe of like genuinely being good people, genuinely being a part of like positive change in the space. Um, and so it's easy to get behind one because the clothing is so, so good. Right. But two, they're just like, they're just great people. And so whether it's the 1% better or, you know, there's a better way to do it, find it or move fast and break shit or whatever, like any of their mantras are for everything. LSKD is just like, they're just easy to support. Yeah, for sure. And I love the concept of create a community. And, you know, I, yeah. I think we've done that here today. We touched on some really cool topics and I'm really thankful to spend some time with you. Finally, we hit that record button and we're able to share a special conversation with the world. As we wrap things up, Kiefer, something that really stood out to me when we grabbed dinner was you have a tattoo on your right arm. Will you touch on Mm -hmm. what that says and what that means? I think it'll really hit people in the right spot. Yeah. uh, So there's a tattoo on my forearm that says, use the good China. And, you know, it was a saying that my aunt said to me in a conversation that was you know, deeper or important to me at the time. And, and I, uh, I, I can have a hard time like talking deeply out loud to people, right? Like I have no hard time thinking it, but I have a hard time talking about it. Um, and basically the idea behind it was like, you know, we all have like that nice stuff that, that, that good China, right. That sits in the cabinet. Um, but if it just sits there and we never use it, then like, what good is it to us? 
And so use the good China is just like a reminder to do the thing, to invest in this thing, to take the risk, um, and to not just save things or wait for the perfect moment just because. Yeah, it, it's beautiful, man. So, when you shared that with me, it really hit, hit me in the right spot. And how it relates to me too, kind of similar to what you just said, which is we've all got ideas, we've got experiences, we've got emotions, we've got things that we don't talk mm -hmm. about. But inevitably, maybe, maybe that is part of life's purpose, which is to authentically share that out in the open. Because you never know, maybe, maybe your experience is somebody else's survival guide. Maybe it's some sort of motivational piece that resonates with them in their journey. And for me, using the right China really stood out and was something that I felt like is a huge takeaway for people to better get to know you and really align with, with some, of the, some of the topics and things that I want to discuss with people on this podcast. So Kiefer, it's been, a, it's been an awesome pleasure and I'm really stoked to potentially cross paths with you again here soon. For sure, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. This is, uh, it's been Super fun. Super fun, man. For those of you observing on YouTube or listening on Apple or Spotify, if you enjoyed my conversation with Kiefer Lammy today, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. And as always, stay on the hunt for who you've not yet become. Till next time, guys. Are you over 35 and in need of a solid training program? Are you looking to improve your athleticism and keep up with the younger athletes in your CrossFit gym? Then look no further than our Invictus Masters program. This program places year-round emphasis on mobility and stability exercises with movements that we have seen directly benefit our Masters athletes. Our program is led by Nicole DeHart and offers a training program designed specifically for Masters athletes who are looking to compete at a higher level in the sport of CrossFit. Some of our top Masters athletes in the world train with us, including CrossFit Games champion Kevin Kester, Matt Beals, and Pat Sprague. You can learn more about their stories and the Invictus Masters program by checking out their episodes right here on the Invictus Mindset Podcast. If you'd like more information about the current training cycle or to join the Invictus Masters program, please email Nicole at InvictusAthlete.com. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-E at InvictusAthlete.com.